through the book of Genesis, and we last week touched on Cain and Abel, the story of Cain and Abel, and I just want to remind you kind of about the narrative of Scripture. So I'm going to ask for a little bit of participation and some help here. Can somebody tell me the story of the Bible in four words? Somebody. The Bible in four words. Don't make me think I'm Jake Faber. <laughs> the Bible in four words. Yep. Yep. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Let's do it together. The first creation. Creation. Fall. Fall. Redemption. Redemption. Restoration. Restoration. This is the story of the Bible in four words. If you want to see the outcome of the scripture, the, the narrative, the storyline of the entire Bible, you can memorize it in those four words. God created the world. So in Genesis 1, we have seen how God created the world. We, we did an introduction to the book of Genesis by discussing the doctrine of creation. How did God create the world? He created it by speaking it into existence. Why did God create the world? He created it for his glory. And how he created the world? Well, there were tons of different discussions there, right? And so uh, we, we talked about biblical uh, theology and how that lines up with modern science and how we can have that that debate, that conversation, can Christianity mix with science? The answer is yes, we can have some, some things where we can agree together, and there's some things that we can disagree upon as well. But nonetheless, we know that God is the creator of the universe, that he has created the world by speaking it into existence, and he has created it for his glory. And some of the other details are minor details, and we need to recognize the minor details, but we need to recognize the big detail is that God is the creator. So he's created not just the universe, but he's created man. He created man in his image and in his likeness. He created them male and female. And he created them to have dominion on the earth and to multiply the earth. Okay, so we, we know that God's created the world. God has created man. And we know that as God has worked through man, we find out in Genesis 2 and 3, as God has given him this task of working the ground, naming animals, that man is missing something. Right? He, we know in Genesis 1 that he says that he makes uh, humanity and male and female, but we don't, Adam does not have his wife at this time. So we, we spent some time talking about uh, the creation of woman, and we talked about what we call complementarian theology, that God has created us to be male and female, that we're equal in our image and in our likeness of God, that there's equality and worthiness and respect, uh, but there's a difference in roles, right? God has created Adam to to lead and be responsible, and he's created Eve to be his helper. So these roles are not dominance over one another. These work to complement one another. So we talked about the creation of woman and how that relates to man. Then we see in Genesis 3, the second piece of the narrative of the Bible, fall. So Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're with uh, the serpent, and the serpent comes to them and says, well, what did God really say to you, Eve? And she is led by deception to eat of the fruit of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. Her eyes are open, she gives the, the fruit to Adam, he eats. And their openness then leads them to shame and guilt. And they run from the presence of the Lord. Phil preached on this, and he said that they hid it in the bushes. Right? They ran from the presence of God by hiding in the bushes. And God calls out to them and says, Adam, Eve, where are you? Where are you? They're, they're fleeing from him because they know that they have rebelled against him. And this rebellion led to the curse of the serpent, but then also the curse of mankind. 
And we see that, that God tells Adam and Eve that there are consequences for her sin. And this rebellion led to uh, the consequence of tension between men and women, tension in relationships. And it says that in the scripture that, that uh, Eve's going to want to rule over Adam and that she will have pain in childbearing. Uh, there's also this promise that we see also through kind of a curse here where uh, God says to the serpent, you will crawl on your belly and there will be a battle between your seed and the seed of the woman and you will bite his heel and he will crush your head. This is the first promise of a deliverer who will rescue God's people. This is Genesis 3.15. So we see a promise from this, but we also see the last consequence, that Adam would have to toil in the land. That the, the work God had given him that brought him joy and satisfaction and helped him to honor God now would become something that would be difficult for him. And then we arrive outside of the garden as Adam and Eve have been expelled from God's presence. And we find that Adam and Eve, their children, Cain, which the New American Standard Bible calls him a man-child, which I thought was amazing, and Abel. And Cain and Abel then are working, and they bring a sacrifice, an offering to the Lord. They worship him, and God finds pleasure in Abel's offering of worship, but no pleasure in God's <coughs> offering of worship. And, and then he warns Cain, because Cain's angry, and even though Cain hasn't really brought to God uh, his true heart, he's kind of come to him in outright through worship. Uh, but Abel has brought in true worship, worship from a genuine heart. This leads to Cain being jealous of his brother and then taking him in the field and killing him. And then we find out that they are expelled. Again, Cain is expelled and his entire family line is expelled from God's presence. So we arrive to where we are this morning. We're going to cover a big chunk of text this morning. Genesis 4, verse 17 through chapter 6, verse 8. So put your seatbelt on and get ready, friends. Um, Follow along as I read from the Word of God this morning. Genesis 4, verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Ireth, and Ireth fathered Methuselah, and Methuselah fathered Methushalah, and Methushalah. Methushael authored Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played the lyre and the lyre. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Jubal Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and called his name Seth. For she said, God had appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed me. To Seth also was a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. 
At the time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is five. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made them in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named the man, the man when they were created. And Adam had lived 130 years. He fathered a son in his own likeness after his own image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enoch. <coughs> Seth lived after he fathered Enoch 807 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enoch lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years, he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not for God. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground, the Lord, that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years and nine. After Noah was 500 years old, he fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to him, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, they were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. 
So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. Man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let he who has ears hear. As we come to this text this morning, you're probably meeting a mental break as we just read that. <laughs> I feel like I need a mental break after reading all of that. Uh, it, it's important for us to see the continuation of the narrative story here, right? So the book of Genesis is written as a historical narrative. So chapters 1 through 4, we've seen a lot of history and story come to life. And what we can notice is outside of Genesis 1 to 3, once we start to see Cain and Abel, the book transitions very quickly. We go from, uh, from Adam and Eve being in the garden to chapter 4. All of a sudden, they have a child in Cain and then in Abel, and we see these two babies as men as they worship the Lord. And so we were just reminded that quickly that God uh, told Cain that he needed to, to reign in sin and that he needed to be aware of the consequences of his action, and those consequences led to him being expelled from God's presence. And really, kind of the big idea of what I want to show you from the text this morning is we follow the line of Genesis. As we kind of sit ourselves in this narrative, we need to see a couple of things. First, we need to see that Cain continues in his consequence. But let's be reminded of Genesis 3. The seed of the serpent versus the seed of the woman. The battle of the evil one against the almighty one in the person of so we know that there's going to be a line of people who run for evil and a line of people that God has chosen and made to be the fulfillment of his promise. And this is a major part of Cain and Abel's story, right? That Eve found that, uh, that Cain, she thought that he would be the promised one who would bring them into that seed of promise, but he ended up truly being not of the promise, but being the and his action resulted in evil that Abel could have been one, should, was one of the promised line. So in, in the first few verses, in, in 17 through 26, the rest of chapter 4, we see God carry out his faithfulness to his promise to expel evil from his presence. Then we get to chapter 5, and that becomes interesting because we, we see the genealogy of Adam and Eve. So confession moment, okay? How many of you see genealogies in the Bible and just kind of read right over? Okay, thank you for your honesty, right? Thank you for your honesty. I, I will admit that often I see genealogies and I go, hey, you know what? I'm going to pull a Dave Oaks here and play the audio edition. <laughs> in fact, you guys can all give Dave a hard time next time, next week when he's back. It's his birthday, so say happy birthday to him. But they give him a hard time. Every time I tell him to read the Bible, he breaks out his iPad and plays the ESV audio Bible. It's hysterical. But he's an audio processor. Okay, well, he's good. When you listen to this David, love you, brother. <laughs> I'm sorry for calling you out. <laughs> All this. Um, nonetheless, so as we listen and we see the genealogy, we have 32 verses of a lot of things going on here. And it's a lot of first processes, especially as we get to chapter 6. But really, what we see here is if God has made the evil line for Cain, we know that the, the Cain is going to be the father of those who are rebellious, and then we see Adam see promise in his new son, his newborn son, Seth. 
So please, with me, just look here at the first few verses of Genesis chapter 5. This is the book of the generations of heaven. God created man. He made them in the image and likeness of God. Male and female, he created them and blessed them and named them man when they were created. In those two verses right there, we see a retelling of the story of the creation of mankind. We're reminded of what God has said in Genesis 1, that he has made man in his image and in his likeness. This is like the narrator of the story looking back to the promises of God that he would make man for unity with him, for community with him, for fellowship with him, to be made in his image, in his likeness, and to carry out his dominion. So as God does this in Genesis 1, we then see the consequences of sin come into real life as we see Adam and Eve expelled from God's presence, then Cain killed Abel, Abel off the face of the earth, and Cain expelled from God's presence. And then we see in Genesis 5, God is faithful to what he has said. He's faithful to what he has done. I just have to be honest with you this morning, as we come to our sermon it was a struggle for me, thinking through, how can I bring this to people's lives? And I, I had this one thought that came to my mind. This is not a, a, a sermon to glorify us. This is a sermon to glorify God. When you see his character of likeness through this passage, we can run through these genealogies, we can look to the story of Cain and Abel, we can look to Seth, we can look to Noah, and we can say, wow, but you know what the one takeaway is? We're stinking evil. We are so evil in our hearts. Our sin and rebellion has led us so far from the Lord, but outside of our rebellion, we can look to God's faithfulness. <coughs> Cain just killed the image of God and his brother, Abel. He just took one of God's created beings. But God stays faithful to his promise to Adam and Eve that he will bring someone who will crush the head of the serpent and bring salvation. So we see again our reminder of the doctrine of creation stays consistent here in Genesis 5. God is not changing from how he has created man. He's created it in his image and in his likeness. He's created them as male and female, equal but distinct, bless them and name them. We actually don't see the naming so much in, in Genesis 1. But then we see this genealogy start with the person of Adam. And as we look at the genealogy of Genesis 5, we're going to see ten different generations of the firstborn son who has been proclaimed as a promise of this line of the seed of the woman, of the seed of the skull crusher. So we see Adam. And the commentaries that I read through this week uh, made a note to, to Leah that each person that is named here that their name is given, their occupation is given, and then it tells us how long they lived, and simply that they had more children and died. There's your genealogy. <laughs> um, so, first we see Adam. We know Adam was a worker of the field. And he lived 130 days, or 130 years. <laughs> and then he fathered his, his son, and lived 800 more years. I mean, these people are old, right? 930 years old. Can you think of that? That brings you into bad comparison, right? Uh, last, uh, this past weekend, I was working in the barn, 
Uh, and we had this wooden uh, Noah's Ark come in, and they had all these like carved figurines. And I took out the Noah, and it was this old guy with a baldy head, and I was like, Noah's kind of creepy. <laughs> and then I looked into Genesis 5, and like, wow, he's 500 years old when he fathered his children. I guess this is an accurate representation. <laughs> We see that the God has created man as we see the consequences of what sin has brought into us. Adam and all of his descendants were made to be in community with God, not just for a short period of time, but for a long period of time. Uh, the longing of our heart, we were made to be in community with God, not just for the temporary, but for the eternal. God has made us so that we would enjoy him not just here, but forever. That is how God has created humans. To enjoy his presence. To enjoy his likeness. To enjoy being with him. And we can read through all these, okay, honestly, confession from everyone. As you heard these names read to you this morning, did anybody have the thought, what does all of this mean come to their mind? Okay, yes, thank you. Thank you, I had that question well. And so I'll give you this note about genealogies, why I think they're important for us to read the Bible. I want you to see something. In Genesis 5, you see a genealogy exposed about the line of Adam. Can you name one spot in the New Testament where you see a genealogy? Anybody? One spot in the New Testament. The genealogy in the New Testament. No, we're not going to read for all of these. <laughs> I promise. Flip your Bible to Matthew. I think this is interesting. Hey, you know how we have, we've been sharing the story of the Bible in four words? You know why that's important? God consistently telling the story throughout the entirety of Scripture. The Bible is so interwoven in this narrative of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We can see it in every book of the Bible. And so we see in Genesis 5, the genealogy of Adam, the promised one, the, the promise of God to be faithful to save his people. And then we see in Matthew chapter 1, the book of the genealogy of the son of David, the son of Abraham. It goes from Abraham all the way through to David. And then it presents the birth of Jesus. Now flip over to, to Luke, the Luke chapter. Lost where I was, sorry. <laughs> <coughs> Luke chapter 
Luke 3, verse 23. We again see a genealogy of the person of Jesus. It goes, Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age, being the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, the son of the prophet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchizedek, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nathan, the son of Esli, the son of and as you go all the way through, verse 38, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. So be reminded, what does Genesis 5, how does Adam's genealogy go? It goes from Adam to not Cain, not Abel, to Seth. Luke 3, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. You see the connections that are here? And how the Lord is using the genealogy to show this connection to his promise given in Genesis 3 that there would be one who would crush the skull of the serpent. Who would that one be? It would be Jesus, the son of God. So genealogies are given to us not just for us to glaze over, not just for us to say, wow, there's a lot of people that lived a long time. Those are truths that we can see from the text, but the ultimate point of these genealogies is to give us a story of how God has been faithful to his people and how he will rescue and save them. So they're meant to remind us of God's faithfulness. And so we see through these generations of people, we come to Noah, right? As we kind of speed through the text here, Genesis 4, Cain and Abel, then into the end of Genesis 4, there's a promise through the birth of Seth. Then in Genesis 5, God, the narrator tells us again, here's how God has created man in his image, in his likeness. He's created Adam. Adam's seed is going to continue. This line of promise will continue through his son Seth. And Seth leads all the way to Noah. And we get to Noah, we know that he's 500 years old, but really the most important time we're in the land here in the text is Genesis chapter 6. What is going on in the world as we come to the person of Noah? And so I'm just going to read the first four verses to us again. These are complicated verses that have been quite controversial in evangelical Christianity. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, God was born to the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives as any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward. When the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of Everybody else scratch their heads as they come to these verses. Good. Let me help you understand the next step. So as we come to this passage, uh, there's a couple of questions. First, what in the world is going on? Uh, we need to see that, especially this comes out in verses 5. Verse 5 says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention, every intention of the thoughts 
of his heart was only evil continually. So we see that sin has come through Cain, and, and well, especially through Adam, through his rebellion, and then that brought into the person of Cain, and we see his rebellion lead to the death of another created image bearer of God, but then God says of all humanity in Genesis 6 here that everyone is wicked. The wickedness of man, the entire human population, was so great in the earth. And he goes on to say, not only were they wicked in their nature, but every one of their thoughts was evil continually. How many of you have ever had the question of, like, does it get any worse than this? Right? I feel like that's a question, or it's not a statement I hear often from Christians today. The world is so horrible. You see how broken this world is. Guys, I want to resonate with that for a second. Yes, there, there's truth. We live in a broken world where the image of God is totally on question right now within our society. Male to female, that, that's gone out the window. That's a, that's a whole new conversation that exists within our world. But outside of this, we, we do see brokenness. We see that there are people who are in real need. There, there's a need for a Savior. They need hope. But I want to point you back to what's happening here. In the beginning of the creation of the world, is God looks at humanity in Noah's day. I'm not going to discount and say we don't have it back. I do think people are broken, and I won't diminish the evil that exists in the world today. But we have to see that God said to Noah that the world was so horrible that man was not just evil in his nature, but every decision was fueled by evil in such a way that he was totally disregarding. Verse 6, it says, the Lord regretted that he made man. And it grieved him to his heart. So this is not, uh, it's really important to see that the second half of this verse is really the emphasis. It grieved God in his heart. And regretted that he had made man. What he does not regret is the creation of man. What he regrets is how man has created himself to be in the earth. All of this rebellion came through the choice of Adam what he did in Genesis 3. His nature that was the image of God, the likeness of God, when he had that moment of freedom, led him to rebellion from God. And that rebellion then created in all of humans a nature in which our natural inclination is not to run to the things of God, but to run away from the things of God. We like to hide in the bushes. Our nature is like Noah. We don't like, not Noah, but Cain. We don't like to be made to second fiddle. We don't like when others attack us and make us feel less than them. We want to be powerful, mighty. We want to know. So God doesn't regret that he created man to be his image bearer. That's how man's choices have led him into such an evil estate that he runs from God. I could go into a conversation about free will, but I'll save that for another day. 
Because we see, here it says, the Lord sees this action. And his decision is that he's, he's got to blot out all the creation. Let this soak in your heart for a The wickedness of the earth was so great that he had to blot out creation. He was ready to start all over And so what does the rest of that verse mean? 
they saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their wives many they chose. So they got married, and they multiplied. <coughs> There's an excellent translation. Verse 3. As this comes, the Lord sought the seas as the, the earth is filling, and populations are increasing, and we have people who are living for 500 years, 600 years, 700 years. There's a problem. The earth is filling. And so the Lord says that he's going to number the days of man to 120 years. And what is the promise of this? Why is, why is this proposed? It's not necessarily to stop the filling of the earth as much as it is hear the resemblance of the characteristic of God. The nature and image of God has been distorted by sin, but here in verse 3, God again reflects his image and likeness and says, my spirit shall abide in man forever, or not, not abide in man forever, for he is flesh, he is withering away, the sin that he has participated in will bring consequences, therefore his days shall be 120 years. Just a little, another little side note. Uh, in the Old Testament, longevity of life is a mark of someone's faithfulness to God. So as we see through that genealogy in chapter 5, some of those guys that were older, uh, especially as we see Lamech, 777 years, he has a ton before he fathered Noah. Most commentators are saying this is a sign of his faithfulness to and a lot of the conversation that exists around the sons of God here in verse 1 is influenced by what happens here in verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men of, who were of old, the men of renown. Right, so this is where a lot of people are like, okay, are these angelic beings, specifically Nephilim, are these fallen angels who have rebelled against God and are now acting in procreation with humans. This is a conversation that comes through this. And the, the contextual answer to this, the context says no. It says absolutely not. This is a point to the fact that there were fallen angels on the earth. But the sons of God, right, we just said in verse 1, the context of these is not these angelic beings, it's not the the kings and queens of the day it is of that line of Adam, of Adam himself. So the sons of God came to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. These were the sons of God who resets the line through the ages. So if you had questions on that, I hope that I've answered them well for you. If you have any other questions on that, I'd be happy to share my, my research with you this week. Uh, but nonetheless, we see the big idea here is that God is going to be faithful to carry out his promise in the system. Sin has been rampant. It has been so prevalent in this community, in this world. It's so strong in such a way that every human has been overcome by their desire of they're overcome, God has to intervene in some sort of way from the rescue so that this promise of salvation would come. We get to hear it in the first eight. It's going to come through the first one. So how can we take this into our lives this week? There's 
celebrate the goodness and faithfulness of God. Genesis 4, 5, and 6. Short. Let's pray, and next week we'll look to Noah and God walk together and how God is going to continue his plan of rescue. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you found it fit to intervene on humanity's behalf. God, that you did not just leave us in sin. Though you could have gone, though we deserve it, you were merciful. You provided us with hope, knowing that you would be faithful to your promise, God, that you had brought your promise through your Son. God, we as your people rejoice. God, we rejoice knowing that you have Walk Jesus. We rejoice knowing that now in Him we can be justified. We rejoice knowing that now in Him we are new creations. God, we rejoice knowing that you have placed us in a community in the local church, the gathered saints of Christ, so that we can walk in encouragement, intelligent, confession of sin, and forgiveness. That helps to embrace your holiness this Help us to reflect upon your goodness and faithfulness in the gospel. Help us now as we respond in song, to respond with thanksgiving and joy to you, our hope. In Jesus' name we pray. I want to invite you to stand with us as we sing. We're going to respond to the word of God this morning with that song. We'll be home. Stand to